Hello and welcome to Reactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evi Kiori and we are back with a fresh structure and a fresh perspective on what's beyond the news. On the very first episode of the season, we are looking in depth what is currently happening with Serbia and Kosovo. How did we get here? What's the impact on this ongoing conflict for the population of Kosovo, regardless of their ethnicity? What's to come and how is the EU's diplomatic strategy panning out? Russia is uh, struggling uh, in this war. It made uh, the mistake to start. Needs additional fronts uh, to divert uh, attention. And uh, the most uh, likely additional front is Kosovo. Georgi Gotev is Euroactive senior editor reporting on global Europe and the Balkans. I must say that the conflict uh, erupted because uh, it was programmed, uh, because there is a problem, a persistent problem. And the problem is that uh, Serbia doesn't recognize Kosovo, its former province. Uh, in uh, northern Kosovo, there is a Serbian population which escapes the control of Pristina. Um, Kosovo decided to put an end uh, uh, to uh, the fact that the Serbian population of Kosovo continues to use Serbian registration plates for their cars. First uh, September deadline was declared, which of course was not going to be met. Uh, right now, thanks to EU mediation, the situation is put on hold. But this is not the end of the story. Some of the escalation now is to do with Russian interference, but I would argue that this situation has not not gone away since sort of the end of the 90s. Alice Taylor is Euroactive's editor reporting from Albania. There has always been ongoing tensions between Kosovo and Serbia. Um, this comes because Serbia has refused to acknowledge Kosovo's independence, Um, and they are aggressively fighting on many fronts, a, a form of war on Kosovo. And this takes place online um, with trolls on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, I can't post anything about Kosovo without being inundated with comments from troll accounts. You know, um, It happens in the media. Um, obviously, the media in Serbia is very tightly controlled by the president. Um, in political rhetoric, and now it's happening with the issue of license plates and identification documents. Um, so I, I would argue, you know, that this this has been playing out for a very long time. What the situation in Ukraine, um, because of Russia, has brought to the table is a further escalation. And I agree with Yogi that, you know, this is being used, you know, it's it's a new front is being created here. But let's not forget that last September, we were in a situation where Kosovo tried to implement reciprocal measures with Serbia with regards to license plates. And the president of Serbia, Alexander Vucic, threatened to, I mean, he actually flew military craft to the border. Um, there were scuffles between Serbs and Kosovo Albanians. Um, NATO peacekeeping forces were involved. You know, this is something that's been going on for quite a long time. Um, and this comes from the fact that in 11 years of EU-mediated dialogue, there has been no real progress. And the, the core issue of the matter, which is Kosovo's independence, has never even once been on the table. Um, until that's resolved, we're going to continue seeing tensions between these two countries and, as a result, the entire region.
The roots of the Kosovo-Serbian conflict go back in the 90s with the breakup of Yugoslavia that led to a number of conflicts between the ethnic minorities within its territory. In 1998, the tension between the Serbians and the Kosovars escalated with a brutal war that ended with the involvement of NATO and the US. But Georgi, you know more on this since you were covering the war on the ground. So tell us how did we get here? Basically, Kosovo was a Serbian province, a part of uh, former Yugoslavia. Uh, Yugoslavia, uh, by the way, was a successful country uh, uh, stuck in the middle between uh, uh, the East and the West uh, during the Cold War. Uh, to a certain extent, uh, Yugoslavia was a fruit of the Cold War. But uh, as the Cold War ended, uh, Yugoslavia became unstable. Uh, it became prey to the worst kind of uh, nationalists. The Yugoslav wars uh, began in uh, 1991, and in some way, uh, the Kosovo War of 1999 was some sort of pinnacle, and I was there indeed uh, as a journalist. Uh, it was a pinnacle because uh, NATO intervened, and uh, the reason was that uh, the Serbian army of uh, Slobodan Milosevic uh, was basically conducting ethnic cleansing and activities that can be described as genocide in Kosovo. More than 30,000 people are believed to have died during the war in Kosovo due to Serbian atrocities. Simultaneously, members of the Kosovo Liberation Army were accused of committing war crimes against ethnic Serbians. The hostilities ended in June 1999, when NATO stopped its devastating 11-week bombing campaign against Yugoslavia and the country signed an agreement to allow a peacekeeping force operating in the territory. This is how Kosovo escaped uh, to the uh, control of Belgrade and later in uh, 2008 uh, Kosovo unilaterally declared independence. But Kosovo's problems, as Alice uh, said, were not solved. And this is why we have the problems today. Kosovo are, are asking for um, to, for Serbia to reveal the whereabouts of missing people. So there's over a thousand people still missing after the end of the war. And Serbia so far has not come forward and volunteered any of that information. And this is a big bone of contention between the two. Today's Kosovo doesn't remind a battlefield anymore, although NATO is still deploying 4,000 troops in the territory. But to find out what applies in Kosovo today, I spoke with Dritero Arifi, professor of international politics at the University of Pristina. The situation is always was and is, and it would be in the future. If it would be very hard to, to have this lasting peace especially after the uh, after the independence after declaring the independence of Kosovo in 2008 things is getting worse not because the serbian minority i'm saying minority but in our constitution there are no terms of minority because uh, our our country is multi ethnic country kosovo is multi ethnic uh, society and we have only communities so let's say sub community in kosovo uh they have all uh, all rights guaranteed with uh, constitution and 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 other laws for example article 5 paragraph 1st is the official languages in ruling of kosovo are albanian and serbian uh, languages those are those are bigger rights that that we are agreed with the international community because of the history because of the past that we that we can live together uh, after the war in 2011 began with the first time with the eu facilitating dialogue 
between Kosovo and, and Serbia to find a, to find a solution between those two countries with uh, agreements on uh, on free movement of people, goods, and so on, and also re- recognizing diplomas. Also, we have uh, uh, last month agreement on energy, especially for this uh, for the for the north uh, Kosovo for the Serb community. But the problem is that from from the from the Serbian side, they don't want to implement it. So uh, the, there are a lot of uh, agreements that are signed but not implemented. And Professor, do you see this conflict escalating? And if that would be the case, what would it mean for Kosovo? If it comes to clashes with police and let's say K4 soldiers, and if we have, uh, I hope that we don't come to a point, but if we have something like that, I think the Serbs are pushing for the autonomy or something uh, similar to the Republic of Serbska in Bosnia uh, and Herzegovina. This is, I think, the the final issue what they want in the north of Kosovo because as I said uh, only 5% of the total population of Kosovo are Serbs and mostly of the Serbs are live in the south of Kosovo not in the north but the problem is that this part of the Kosovo uh, Serbs are manipulating from the Serbia because Serbia is telling to them that they will return one day to Kosovo and that's why European Union should do more to that should be more clear on the statement Thank you Mr. Arifi You're listening to Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on euractiv.com slash newsletter And if you want to expand your knowledge on other fields, you can listen to our Tech Brief podcast and our AgriFood Brief podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can drop a line at podcast at euractive.com. Alice, coming back to you, what impact does this conflict have on a political level, but also in relation to Ukraine? It's a mess. I mean, Russia backs Serbia. Russia and uh, Serbia supports Russia. Um, They're friends. You know, Alexander Vulin recently went to Moscow and met with Lavrov and they had this big fraternal love fest, you know, and we support you. We will never side with the EU, you know, all of this going on. Um, And this on its own is very complex. But then and then you have Russia intervening and saying, Um, So basically, we back Serbia in their sovereignty, you know, and the integrity of their borders, basically saying we do not support Kosovo. But Russia's really shot itself in the foot here because at the same time, you have Russia saying, no, Crimea is ours and we're going to take various other regions as well. And no one can do anything about this. So there's a huge contradiction there. Obviously, I'm not comparing Kosovo declaring its independence from um, Serbia to, you know, Russia saying that Crimea is part of Russia. That's not my intention. I'm pointing out the sort of hypocrisy of Russia here. Um, but as we know, Putin really wants to destabilize as much of the West as he can. And the Western Balkans is a tinderbox. It has been for centuries. Um, also with their EU aspirations, um, NATO aspirations and NATO members around, you know, this is an area I think he's really keen to get into and his way to do that is via Serbia. Um, And this is being exploited. And it is a very, very concerning situation. So 
to answer your question, the situation in Ukraine is something of a catalyst for adding more fuel to the fire that's already been raging in the Western Balkans for many years. And Georgi, what is the impact it has on a social level and for the people living in Kosovo? For the citizens of um, Kosovo, I will give one example. Uh, from all the Western Balkan uh, countries, uh, only Kosovo doesn't benefit from visa liberalization. And uh, this seems uh, unreal, uh, especially uh, since the people of Kosovo, as part of uh, Yugoslavia, were traveling uh, visa-free to Europe uh, since the 1970s, but now they cannot. I mean, um, uh, there are many unsolved problems uh, as Alice said, and uh, yes, I, I agree that uh, when I say the EU has invested a lot of uh, diplomatic effort, it doesn't mean that the EU effort has been very successful. Kosovo has Albin Kurti, there's the prime minister, and he is very unique in the fact that he's really stood up to Serbia, whereas before others haven't. And he is very much focused on reciprocal agreements. So he's like, okay, Serbia, if you are not going to play ball, then we're not going to play ball either. Whatever you impose on us, we will impose on you because that's how it should be. Um, so in a way, he's sort of, you know, I admire what he's doing, but this is also making the the tension sort of a bit, a bit harder. But this is fair, you know? Why should Serbia be allowed to unilaterally impose things on Kosovo and Kosovo is expected to roll over and take it? And, and this extends as well to the EU. I mean, I find it quite offensive sometimes, you know, when President Vucic was threatening to send, you know, troops to the border and he was flying military aircraft at the border. And the EU was sort of saying both sides need to refrain from escalating the situation. And it's like, <laughs> but Kosovo is just doing what it's entitled to do. You know, it's a very one-sided sort of whataboutism here. And I get that it's diplomacy and things, but this is not a fair playing field between the two countries. You have an aggressor which killed thousands of people and displaced 1.5 million people. And you have a country which is trying to defend itself, trying to be sovereign, trying to join the EU, trying for visa liberalization. You know, and the impact on the society, going back to your other question, is we have a problem with brain drain in the Western Balkans. We have a big problem in Albania and in Macedonia and Kosovo with people deserting the country. You know, they feel that there is no future. It was like in North Macedonia when there was this veto from Bulgaria. I spoke to so many people, interviewed people. They were like, we don't ever see ourselves joining the EU. You know, what's the point in staying here? We're just hanging on to a dream that's never going to materialize. This has a huge impact on the society and the people and the mentality of people. Not being able to travel. My friend is from Kosovo. Her partner is, is Dutch. Her son travelled to Kosovo whenever he wants. She has to go through a protracted visa application just to go see her her, her father-in-law. You know, this is upsetting for the people in society. They feel like outsiders. They feel like the EU doesn't care, that they are cut off from the rest of the continent when all they want more than anything is to be a part of it. But then, you know, maybe this is part of Serbia's game plan. And Georgi, what is your take on this? I mean, uh, unlike her, uh, I don't admire any of the leaders of, uh, of the region, uh, not at all. And uh, I also disagree with uh, her description. I mean, uh, 
in the case of Kosovo, I mean, uh, she called the Kosovo a country, but Greece, uh, Cyprus, Spain, Romania, and Slovakia don't recognize Kosovo as a country. Okay, we know why, uh, because these five EU members uh, don't want territorial changes in Europe to become a precedent. But the problem is that the EU uh, cannot press Serbia to recognize Kosovo, uh, while five of its members don't recognize it. Uh, So Kosovo is uh, actually a frozen conflict of the kind uh, Russia is championing. And uh, uh, let's face it, I mean, Russia has high hopes that the conflict will escalate into something big and possibly cause uh, major harm uh, to the EU. And uh, there I'm not not sure uh, many politicians in the EU uh, understand that. I'm happy to announce that after last week's high-level dialogue meeting in Brussels and intense follow-up efforts in Pristina and Belgrade done in the past few days, today we have an agreement on freedom of movement between Serbia's President Alexander Vucic and Kosovo's Prime Minister Alvin Kurti. Stated earlier this week, uh, Joseph Borrell, EU's high representative, congratulating both parties for reaching a verbal so far agreement. How is this verbal agreement influencing the current situation and what is uh, EU's play here? The EU has invested a lot of diplomatic effort in uh, defusing the Kosovo crisis. And, uh, it has succeeded so far uh, ahead of the 1st uh, September deadline. Uh, For the EU, it is important, uh, first, uh, to avoid a new war, uh, second, not to allow Russia or other third countries to meddle, third, uh, to keep both Kosovo and Serbia on track on the EU orbit. But uh, the patience in Kosovo is running thin. Uh, Let's not forget that because not all EU countries uh, recognize Kosovo, Uh, this land is not on the same track as the other Western Balkan countries. So we have problems there. Ah, you see, Yugi, you're ever the optimist. I, I guess I just don't feel as positive about it. You know, the EU has invested a lot in this, you know, 11 years of mediation. But what have we really achieved? I mean, the majority of the agreements have not been implemented. They remain on paper only. The agreement that was brokered the other day is a, is a verbal agreement. Um, and it still does not address the issue of license plates, which is one of the most complicated and difficult ones, which is sort of what triggered this issue last year. Um, there's also the fact, as I said before, you know, the issue of of sovereignty um, of Serbia sort of stepping back has never been on the table. And Vucic has repeatedly said, it will never happen. We will never, ever recognize Kosovo. And for this reason, I don't ever see There being a solution, you know, Kosovo won't be able to join the EU, it won't be able to join NATO if it's not recognized. Um, and until Serbia moves on this, I think the rest is just dropped in the ocean, unfortunately. And Georgi, what's the future of EU's diplomacy and NATO's involvement there? Well, NATO maintains a peacekeeping force in uh, Kosovo called uh, K4. Uh, by the way, Russia has been part of uh, K4, but uh, it has withdrawn. And uh, NATO would not be caught uh, by surprise if it would need to intervene in Kosovo, but uh, 
I mean, let's face it, such intervention should better be avoided. So um, EU is diplomacy and NATO, it's war. Uh, it's much better uh, to have uh, to have diplomacy rather than war. Now, both parts are hoping for a European future. Alice, how could this conflict impact their accession process? Well, I mean, as as is mentioned before, Serbia joining the EU, on paper, they want to. I'm not really convinced that they are serious about it other than sort of doing the performance um, of the accession process and receiving funds and things like this. Um, whereas Kosovo is desperate to join, like I said. You know, it's, it is, and I will use the word country because I think five people not accepting it because of their own territorial issues and not on the merits of whether it's a country or not doesn't impact, you know, Kosovo's situation. So I, I will call it a country. Um, they deserve to be a part of the EU. You know, they, they're the only ones in the Balkans, along with Bosnia and Herzegovina, that are sort of left on the outside. Um, they are extremely vulnerable, extremely vulnerable, um, especially in the context of the Ukraine situation, you know, And I really feel that this unanimity sort of concept around a session is is tired. I don't think it works anymore. And I, I think the same for NATO as well. Um, and I know this is a topic that's been discussed at EU levels recently, you know, whether this, this concept should be scrapped because states with vendettas, personal vendettas or reasons um, to vote against further enlargement, such as, you know, Cyprus and Spain, you know, which you know, their reasons are not based on the merits of Kosovo itself. I think this makes the situation much more complex. And we're in a world now where there is, people need to pick their sides and leaving a small, vulnerable, low-income country out on the fringes is really, really dangerous. And um, Kosovo has done a lot of work. It's not perfect, but it's done a lot of work, for example, to meet visa liberalization requirements. It met them several years ago. And the fact that they haven't been given this is really, really shocking. I think if the EU is is serious about enlargement and is serious about um, preventing influence in the region, it, it really needs to consider its stance towards, towards Kosovo. Um, but yeah, at the moment, I don't see either of them going any further until something in the EU changes or something changes between them. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Georgi. I am Evikiori and this was Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit Euractiv for the latest news and if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by myself with the help of Georgi Gotev and Alice Taylor. Thank you for listening. 